Welcome to another episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman, and I've got Fred Clare along with Jeff Bellinger today. Um, and Fred and Jeff go back a long time, so I'm going to let them take it from there, and uh, we will let the conversation begin. Jake, thank you. And uh, indeed, my relationship with Jeff goes back for a number of years from the time uh, that he was an intern with the Dodgers and uh, through those years and staying connected. And then ultimately, and Jeff can give the precise date or year, uh, joined forces when we launched the um, class at USC Sports Business and the Media. And that has been more than 20 years. And Jeff, you know, what strikes me is that here was a class that wasn't part, isn't part of a sports management program per se, but the number of students exposed to uh, the class and guests that we have been able to, to bring in and that you've brought in for many years now because you've continued that class. Uh, it's rewarding for me, and I know it has to be 10 times as rewarding for you with the years that have passed and all of your involvement with the students at USC. Well, first, Fred, uh, I want to thank you for and you and Jake for inviting me to be um, on your podcast. It's an honor. And as you said, our relationship goes back to a phone call I got from you that was a mere 43 years ago <laughs> in the spring of 1976. And I had just met Bill Schumard through a class project at USC and and um, he got back in touch after we had met for that project and said we've got something here that we think you might be uh, a fit for and that led to a phone call from you to uh, confirm the uh, the chance to join the Dodgers and run the message board that that um, preceded Diamond Vision and really changed the video scoreboard industry but for me, it opened the door. It opened uh, the door to a to an incredible new world, where I was connecting with um, amazing people that worked for the Dodgers, starting with yourself and Bill and Steve Brenner, um, and getting a chance to see what went on to um, to put a game on to, to you know to host a crowd every every night at the park and and to be part of the the game operations crew handling the message board. But it also opened up my eyes to uh, the, the the media world. I was in the press box and got a chance to meet some great people that that have become lifelong friends. It, it just it opened doors for me that um, I could never have imagined, Fred. And it all started with Dodger Stadium and the work we did every night. And eventually, it led to an opportunity to to teach what I knew about. Um, sports media and then that that turned into the class that that you and I partnered with called sports business media which was really a, a, a perfect combination for both of us of our careers you being a, a writer uh, covering the Dodgers the Long Beach Press Telegram I grew up reading your work then going into the front office in baseball and a chance to teach about the business of sports and sports media. And for me, it was working for the Dodgers, working as a writer and editor at the LA Times for the National Football League. And then as an entrepreneur, creating my own basketball event, the Pete Newell Challenge, honoring the Hall of Fame coach. And 
along the way, I was teaching at USC um, a class in sports media. And Joe Saltzman came to me one day and said, I have an idea for a class that combines uh, sports media with sports business. Who do you think we could get to teach it? I was the sports guy there and he, he wanted to, you know, just get my opinions on that. So I gave it some thought and I came back to him and said, Joe, this class really combines kind of everything that I've come across in my career. I'd love to teach the class. And he said, then, then it's yours. And then I, then I thought, geez, what am I doing? I, I, where do we start? Um, and that's about the same time that, that you reached out with an interest in teaching. So it was a, it was a case of just great timing all around. And Fred, if you can believe that, that was exactly 20 years ago this spring, spring of 99. Well, it's a, uh, an appropriate anniversary, Jeff, because in uh, knowing uh, our involvement carried on by your great dedication involvement, and then to see the students from that class become aware that there are opportunities and uh, and then to see their careers uh, flourish and, and so many going into the business world of sports. But I think, Jeff, that your career and your path really represents a very key point here, and that is so basic. It doesn't matter where you start. You have to get involved. Mm -hmm. And you started on the message board. And for those who look at the boards of today and all of the technology and all that happens, I mean, in such a dramatic, uh, all but overpowering way, to think back when you ran the Dodger Stadium message board, it was you typing what, on what amounted to a typewriter and the, the, the letters going up letter by letter. Exactly right. And, and I would stop in your office. Uh, I usually got to the park around three o'clock. I would, I would stop in your office and we would review what, um, what we had uh, planned for that night's game. If there were any special anniversaries or it was an occasion that needed to be um, uh, recognized in some way. Um, we, we took care of the fans request to have birthday messages put up and sponsor messages. And so I would take, I, after our meeting, I would go down to, to the press box and usually get down there by about four o'clock and spend the next couple of hours before the game started, just, uh, inputting, programming the messages into the machine. As you said, it was, it was like an electronic typewriter. And then we would take it, the, um, what we inputted would come out on a ticker. We would just run the ticker through the machine and onto the board, pop the messages. Now, if there was a, a moment during the game where we didn't have time to pre-program it, which often happens, of course, if there's a big hit or an announcement or a big score, uh, you don't have time to program something. You just have to, or at that time, we, we, we had to just type directly on the screen. So when we had a, a now pretty famous um, incident happened at Dodger Stadium, which was the very first month of my first year with the Dodgers um, involving Rick Monday. Uh, there was no time to, to program it. We just had to go right with the thoughts that, uh, that you had and that, uh, that I put on the board. And I remember, I've thought many times later, boy, I, you know, any mistake that was made on a typewriter at that point goes right on the board. 
and I almost think about it. Get, I get nervous thinking about it <laughs> 40 years later. Well, Jeff, I, I'm going to let you tell that story because it was certainly one of the most significant events in the history of Dodger Stadium. And then um, I want Jake to uh, carry on with um, with information from you in terms of guiding uh, today's young people, today's students, just as you have, uh, to hopefully help direct people interested in the business world of sports to find a starting point and, and to find a, um, a business and academic work that certainly has uh, been very fulfilling for the two of us. So sure uh, enough. I'll, I'll let you uh, tell the story of what happened on a rather memorable day and uh, <laughs> live that memory and then look to the future for helping people with careers in sports. Okay, sounds great, Fred. Jeff, in terms of, in terms of Rick Monday, I mean, I got to say our, our, our listenership ranges uh, a variety of, of years. So yeah. for, for those of us who maybe don't know who Rick Monday is, uh, who are listening, and those who do, uh, give us a little background and intro to the story and, and uh, take us away. Sure. I mean, it's, uh, um, it, it's actually Rick Monday is the answer to a great trivia question, Jake. Um, you'll make some money off this someday. Um, <laughs> send me a small portion if you will. Um, Rick Monday was the very first pick in the very first baseball free agent draft. How about that? 1965. Uh, he had played actually at Santa Monica high school, went to Arizona state. He was on that Arizona state team with Reggie Jackson Sal Mando, mm-hmm. some great players. And when baseball finally instituted its free agent draft in 1965, I think Rick was two years out of high school at that point. Um, he was the very first pick by the Kansas City A's. So this incident that um, that I just mentioned that Fred and I were discussing happened in 1976. At this point, Rick was playing for the Chicago Cubs. He was a left-handed hitting outfielder, good power, uh, good athlete, could run, excellent fielder, uh, left-handed, and uh, was playing center field. This was April 25th, 1976, and it was it was, like, it was like when, if it, as if it was yesterday, right? I mean, you, I you mean, remember? It, honestly, <laughs> it, 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 it almost feels that way. Uh, it was the bicentennial celebration in this country, so there was, a, there was certainly a patriotic flavor in the air. Uh, a, a, a lot of places you went that year. Uh, 1976 and and between innings of a game uh, a Sunday afternoon game if I'm not mistaken between the Dodgers and the Cubs Rick Monday was in center field and um, the inning was about to begin the the previous inning the half inning had ended um, the Cubs were in the field and all of a sudden you saw this strange sight of a of a person coming out of the stands onto the field and then you saw another person it turned out to be a father and a son son maybe 10 11 years old but just two figures two male figures coming onto the field they had something in their hand and you looked and i think it's an american flag and sure enough they laid the flag down and what turned out to be the father pulled out a a cigarette lighter oh no and, and was about to set the flag on fire and rick monday just instinctually 
uh, I don't think you had time to really process this. Of course, you, if you're thinking there's somebody that's maybe kind of crazy, you, your, your thought for most people, I think, would be to run in the opposite direction, like get out of the way. There may be an explosion coming or whatever. But Rick Monday's instincts were there's a flag. It's about to be set on fire and I'm going to get it. So he he ran directly at the two men or father and son and just scooped the flag up right literally out of their hands. It was as it was about to to feel the flame. I mean, it, it, when you saw a picture that um, that won many awards um, that was in the Herald Examiner the next day, it was a front page picture in the newspaper in L.A. Um, it was like almost as if it was taken a still photo from a movie because the photographer caught Rick Monday just to, just as he scooped the flag up and the flag was out enough that you could clearly see it. And he caught it in full stride. And and there was Monday and he, you know, and he took off and just ran off the field. There was quite a stir and security came out and 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 took the father and son off the field and the crowd spontaneous. Well, I should say Fred was sitting a few feet from me and he said, Jeff, type these words on the message board. Rick Monday dot dot dot. You made a great play. And, <laughs> and I've told him this many times since. I still cannot believe that in the heat of the moment, he had the presence to come up with what I thought was the perfect way to describe what had happened on the scoreboard when nobody really knew exactly, or I would say very few people knew exactly what had happened. And he just thought of those words right at that moment. And so that's where I was, as I was saying, (laughs) just a little bit uh, nervous later thinking, well, gosh, as I'm typing those words, uh, those letters on there, if I make a mistake, it, it goes right up. But at the time it was just get those things, you know, get the, get the message up there as quickly as possible. And spontaneously uh, the crowd broke, uh, broke out into a rendition of uh, God bless America. Wow. Uh, And, you know, you, again, you, it was, it wasn't something you could have, scripted any better it was just they stood up they applauded they realized finally what had happened and they just broke out into song and it was a moment recognized as one of the great moments in not just dodger history but baseball history and of course i thought it was you know a moment that had happened and was was gone forever just to to stay in our 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 memory banks forever but lo and behold the wonders of of YouTube, sure enough, somebody had captured the incident and even the, even that message on the scoreboard. And so now if you, if you go on to YouTube and just click Rick Monday, uh, Dodger state flag, 1976, something like that up will pop a really nice feature that was done that major league baseball, I think produced and you see it all. So you can, uh, you know, the, the listeners might be interested in just, seeing what it all looked like because it's it's there now and um, living forever so i'm i'm glad that other people can can now find out about it and and actually see what happened because it was quite a special moment well as as we look back at you know the story you just told and 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 we kind of look at the future 
right? Almost the present and the future of where sports media is, right? I mean, you were talking about the scoreboard. You were talking about it's on the front page of the newspaper, although newspaper hasn't gone away uh, yet, right? Uh, But, but, you know, what is, especially within your class, right, of, of 20 years and how you've probably evolved, how you've taught the class, right? The information that's that's being given and the projects that are being done and, you know, the research. And I mean, tell us a little bit about where you kind of see sports, sports media going and, and the side of the business in, in which, you know, media really um, can spread awareness in a lot of different ways than, than it used to. Oh yeah. It's so true, Jake. And, and, and media is evolving. You know, and I, I teach a spinoff to this class, this is this class uh, that I taught with Fred and, and, and Fred and I did it for three years, actually three spring semesters. I was when I was working on my Pete Newell Challenge basketball event, I could only teach in the spring. So spring of 99, 2000 and 2001, Fred and I were together co-teaching the class. And then um, and then I continued it on from there and didn't go year round with the class until 2011. Um as a spinoff of that class, I created one five years ago called Sports and Media Technology. I thought there was room in the curriculum for a class that just dealt with the tech side of sports, basically how the tech sector has impacted sports. And again, I, I thought that enough material existed to make a class out of that. Same length as my weekly class, um, Sports Business Media which is about three and a half hours. And um, sure enough, uh, they approved the class. We got it started. And I teach now that class once a year in the spring. And uh, there is plenty of material to go uh, for a weekly class of, of three plus hours uh, because the sports media has evolved so much and the business of sports. I mean, you've got so many of the social platforms that athletes can communicate directly to fans and their and their followers. Games are live streamed, and and we we really didn't know anything about that world until early this century when Major League Baseball created uh, uh, the first live streaming of of sports was was baseball. Bam Tech, uh, which has evolved into a hugely successful company of its own that was recently purchased by Disney. Um, the people that created the infrastructure, the hardware uh, for streaming games became in demand then by other sports, which I've always thought was kind of funny because baseball's always considered uh, to be usually the, the, the slowest moving, both, you know, literal sense in the sport, but also, you know, a sport very much um, married to its history and, and the box score and, and these traditions that, that are far from something like, say, the NBA or NHL. And yet, or, e- or esports, right? Or, there's there's yeah. a whole lot of history to esports. Right, <laughs> right. And, and those, are the, those are the fast moving, you know, the, the, you know, more of the flashy kind of sport and, and, you know, the athleticism and things we see. And yet it was baseball, the sport, the only sport without a clock, that uh, team sport that, um, that created that had somebody thinking about because of the great inventory of games that people would be interested in following their teams that didn't live in those markets. So they started the, you know, MLB streaming service, um, MLB.tv now. And uh, so the streaming world and 
the way we communicate, the way we consume sports. So many people consume it via Twitter and the other social platforms that, you know, in fact, we had a discussion in the class this week um, with, uh, you know, so many people weighing and we have a lot of athletes that are upset now because they get, they get peppered with so many questions about their future plans and free agencies approaching. And, you know, everybody needs, everybody is kind of feeding that, you know, that, that media cycle that exists and they're trying to break stories and there's so many outlets. It's not just a few broadcast networks and cable networks. Um, now there's so many forms of media and the digital side is so important now, but there's, we have this discussion on, um, you know, with all of the, all of the, the, the media scrutiny, is it, does it make sense? Uh, is it, is it the right thing for media to have profiles, you know, for, for media people to be, to be sending uh, Twitter messages and constant updates, Instagram and other places, um, because it kind of makes, in, in a way, media has always tried to be the ones telling the story, not in the story. But when they have profiles and they're trying to break news that way, it kind of inserts the media into a story. So it's mm-hmm. sort of an interesting topic on whether it makes sense for the media to have, you know, their own outlets, even apart from the, the media company they work for. So questions like that, this coming week, we're going to have, uh, we're going to talk, have somebody come in that's really uh, active in the, in the virtual reality world, the augmented reality world and the artificial intelligence world. And how do those things, how will they impact how we consume sports going forward? I have some doubts about how effective virtual reality is going to be for a large number of people in sports. Sports is such a communal um, activity. We like to share it. And virtual reality tends to be a little bit more individual. You put on headsets and you're not as connected to your group. So it's interesting because everybody's trying to monetize and capitalize on on whatever the newest um, creation is. Again, whether it's eSports or or um, any, of the, any of the different platforms, uh, gambling in sports, everybody now wants uh, to be right there at the forefront when these things are happening. It's like, it's like, you know, it's like another gold rush. You know, everybody wants to sort of be there in case – uh, and get their and get their share, um, depending on whatever whatever success comes to these new um, forms of media and, and and sports business. So I don't have a textbook because I don't really feel like I need one. I think the, the, the rules <laughs> it's, are getting it's ongoing. Content, it really I is. Mean... I think it would be. I think a book would be almost immediately outdated. And and I just like the idea. I think it makes a better learning experience if the students are reading about about. Um, the developments as they're taking place right now, because so much of this is happening as we go. So you really well, can't do much I, in the I way of history. I don't think there's enough hours in the day to read all the content that's out there or watch all the content that's out there. I mean, you, you could seriously, Jeff, have a full-time job reading and watching sports content <laughs> and you'd probably get fired in a couple of days. Right. I mean, Jake, you, it's so you, funny. You wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to do a good job at it. There's too it's, much. It, it's so funny. I've had the same thought. Like what if your job was just to read and consume the, the content that you would want? You know, I, I look, I, I I'm, I'm keeping track of what's in 
you know, kind of the mainstream and, and, you know, other sites that I, that I go to often and that I value. And I feel like, yeah, I'd like to read five or six or seven different, different um, analyses, interpretations of, you know, of Bryce Harper's new contract. But if I can get to one or maybe two that I think do a pretty good job, you know, that, that will give me a pretty good picture of, of, you know, of what the deal is or something. That's about as much as I can hope for. Well, um, Jeff, I, I mean, I made a, I made a goal of, of trying to read one article a day this year. Uh-huh. I don't know where to start. You know, you, you can go to sports business journal. You could go to sponsorship.com. I mean, there's, there's, I mean, you could go to ESPN, Bleacher Report, Players Tribune. I mean, you yep. can't even, you can't even fathom to pick, you, you know, the article in which the site it's on, let alone pick your, your breakfast, lunch, and dinner each day. Right. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so, true. so, so give us some insights into the, into the um, mediums that you suggest to your students, where to find the best information about the industry, you know, and then also uh, a little bit about, you know, how to get into sports or um, for those who are, you know, trying to get better each day or learn something different, kind of where the best mediums are to look at. Yeah, I, you know, I think um, most, most of the students that, that I meet in my, in my classes, they, they usually have um, their habits pretty well established. You know, they'll, you know, whether, like you said, whether it's Bleacher Report or whether it's um, any of the network outlets, um, you know, CBS or NBC, um, ESPN.com. Um, I mean, I, I get to all of them at some point in the in the sports tech world. I don't I don't think there's probably too many better uh, resources than sports than sporttechie.com. I got a chance to meet the guy who's a UCLA grad that that started that. It was just a way to um, cover the sports the sports tech industry. Basically, what I try to do in my class just developments and and uh, issues and trends. And so his. Uh, website is sporttechie.com hashtag sports is another one that that covers um, the tech world and the business of sports as you said the sports business journal i consider the sports business journal the bible of the sports Mm -hmm. industry i i I, if i was if i was going to um, add a textbook to my um to my class and make it a requirement, I would require a subscription to the sports business journal. The daily is what you get every sent to your inbox every day um, digitally. But I like the magazine because it's, it's more comprehensive. It has, it has more in it than what you get with just the, the daily offerings, but, but it covers the, the business of sports. Unlike any other, I would say, top to bottom. And what I always tell people, tell my students, you know, it's just a good idea for you to plug in and start becoming aware of what some of those issues are. And frankly, what some of the jobs are out there. I mean, it, you have no, most students have no idea the, the breadth and the depth of the industry until we start to discuss it. And I use the sports business journal a lot to give examples of jobs that are out there. And well, you can you can look at the people on the move in the sports business journal and all of a sudden there's categories of esports or this company or that company that you've never even heard of before. And 
then you look it up and you're like, you know, holy well, cow, they, they do this. And, and uh, people, you know, you can try and follow people on LinkedIn, right? Maybe it, you try exactly and connect right. with them on, on um, LinkedIn to see, hey, you know, I want to learn more about what you're doing here. And you read it in the Sports Business Journal and all that sort of stuff. hundred percent, right? Jake. It's exactly right. I, I mentioned LinkedIn a lot. Um, and I, I use an example. He's, he's, a, he's a friend of Fred's as well. Um, Daryl Dunn, who's the general manager of the Rose Bowl. We, we had Daryl on our podcast yes. not too long ago. Great guy. Comes to my class um, every semester. I think he's coming in next month. And I, I always bring him up as an example. Now, Daryl came out of college. He went to St. Bonaventure in upstate New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, most famous sports alum is probably Bob Lanier, former number one pick in the draft, longtime Detroit Pistons center. And... Uh, so coming out of upstate New York sometime in the, as I recall, late 70s or so, maybe early 80s, Daryl had designs on being a sports writer and, you know, quickly found out that wasn't his thing. So, you know, eventually moves out to Southern California where his brother was in Santa Monica and, and started selling season tickets for the Lakers and Kings and moved over to the Raiders and then to the Rose Bowl. And he was there when the World Cup came to the Rose Bowl in 94 and was promoted from working on the world cup to other positions at the Rose bowl and became the general manager. So I bring him up and say, do you think when Daryl Dunn was sitting in a classroom in upstate New York, once upon a time that he thought to himself, you know, someday I think I'm going to run that big stadium out in California called the Rose Bowl. (laughs) I'm going to be the guy that runs the day-to-day operations of the Rose bowl. I mean, he wouldn't have any idea that, and and nor would anyone, that the stadium had a day-to-day operation. This was a stadium used, we all thought, once a year for the Rose Bowl game. Um, There were a couple of other events that would come in occasionally, but, but the point is that you just wouldn't know that that opportunity existed to, to, to run a venue and to be part of the, the fan experience in hosting events. And what does that entail? Uh, working with not just the public and, and, and the fans that would come in, but, but sponsors with the people that um, provide food and beverage and, 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 and that set up the, the luxury suites, which you know, bring in such significant amounts of revenue. The Rose Bowl has a monthly flea market. You're involved in that. I mean, you're, you're, a, you're a visible... Uh, important member of a community when you when you run a, a sports stadium or arena today. And as we know by what's going on downtown LA at LA Live and what we'll soon what we'll see next year when the complex in Inglewood opens and the two NFL teams, the Chargers and Rams, have a new stadium, it's a lot, it's about a lot more than just the stadium. These are real estate plays now. Way way and, more than football. I mean you mentioned it earlier with your your comment about VR and how VR might not be that viable because, you know, at the end of the day, sports is a community based platform, right? It, it you, you cannot, you cannot fill the Rose bowl with, you know, 80,000 people or whatever it might be. If you don't get your community, uh, you know, with, let's just say an hour within LA, no, you know, aware of the Rose bowl, what it is, you know, what, what kind of event it's going to be, uh, what kind of, you know, environment it's going to be. And, and if you had, you know, 
10,000 people show up and the other 70 were on their headsets, it's not the same. And the not people the with the headsets on are not going to have the same experience either, right? No, you're, you're exactly right. And even if you were if you were sitting with the group and you were watching a big game, let's say the Super Bowl, um, if you if everybody was had a headset on, you, you would all be having different experiences. Mm-hmm. And the point about sports and why we love it both when we're at the stadium um, or when we're with a group watching, I, I get together with a group of sports buddies and we, we, we do big games occasionally at sports bars. Just it's an excuse to get together, but it's also fun just to, to be part of this, you know, the rooting interest that we would have. And, and if everybody had a headset on it, that would take away from, you know, the communal effect. So, sure. So, um, yeah, those are, um, those are exactly the kind of things that, that we discuss. I think there's certainly uses for augmented reality. We, we use augmented reality now. The yellow line that you see on your, uh, on your screen when you're watching a football game, which I think, by the way, other than instant replay, is the most important um, technical element in sports. Like that's mm-hmm. the thing, watching football. Uh, certainly watching um, a game at home or, or the K zone, right. With baseball or the K zone or, or even something as simple as what, what was the Fox box because it was another (laughs) innovation that was started by Fox. Right. That that was just the box that has the score and the time remaining in the game. And and, and at one time people thought that was distracting and it it wasn't, it wasn't universal, universally uh, accepted just as the glowing puck wasn't accepted, that was rejected. Right. And I think actually that may be on its way back because that's another form of augmented reality. Mm-hmm. But, the yellow, but the yellow line, you know, you talk about these new innovations like AR and VR. Well, that's actually, that's not so new because, uh, you know, the yellow line's now been around for a while and, uh, and they started the, the glowing puck in the middle 90s, early 90s. So uh, it's like coming out with a new movie, with the old movie, with a new movie and a new cast, right? Yes. Something of that sort. Something, something like that. Right. <laughs> People now feel like maybe the time has come to bring it back. And we do it. We do a semester long project with Fox. We've done it for the last three years uh, where we work with Fox on something that um, uh, that's an innovation. We, they, they hope within something that will increase the, the viewership for, for, whatever the designated sport is for this year, we're working on high school football. We've done NASCAR and also hockey and the Fox people have told us they, they feel like the time is, is coming to maybe bring the, the, uh, the glowing puck back. So, wow. uh, yeah. I want, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. I want to, I want to transition real quick as we start to kind of wrap up this episode, but you know, I think one of the really interesting topics you might be able to touch on and, and seeing, you know, 20 years of students go through your class within opportunities within the industry. A lot of the the people who are probably most successful, and you can probably attest to this, go out and get it, right? They go yes. out and get the opportunity. They make the network connections. They make it happen for them, right? We, uh, yeah. I, I was always taught that luck equals preparation for when the opportunity presents itself, right? And, mm-hmm. and we, and I think Todd Lewecki, on our on our podcast uh, said we could we could have a whole nother episode on luck right but but yeah 
you know, then there's the other side where they just expect it to come to them. Oh, well, I, I went to USC or I went to Ohio or I went and, and it's, hey, the, the opportunity is going to come find me. Well, not necessarily, right? I mean, t- touch a little bit on that, on maybe the students that you've had through the 20 years who have really gone out and got it. And, and yeah. they, they just, they just you know, as, as we say in the industry, they just get it. They, they get it and they get involved. And, and you can really tell, Jake, when you when I meet students and I, my student, my class is open to students of all different um, years and classes at USC. So it's not an upper division class. I have freshmen sitting next to seniors and the advantage and there's advantages to taking that a class like that um, early in your college career or later. I mean, you can there are advantages for, of both. But if you take it early, what I find is it's students that really are serious about wanting to get in sports and they hit the ground running. I mean, they just get involved. And that's, that means um, seeking internships, uh, seeking just helping out on with game day operations. The great thing about, about um, having, being able to teach a class like this at a place like USC is that you're in this vibrant marketplace. Mm -hmm. It's really the sports and entertainment capital. I mean, you've got now, with the return of the NFL, two pro football teams, two baseball teams, two hockey teams, two basketball teams, three counting the WNBA, you've got minor league baseball, which is an area I think sometimes students forget. That's where about. I started. Minor league, minor league baseball is a great starting place, as you mm-hmm. can attest, Jake. You know, people say, well, they got the Dodgers and Angels. Yeah, but you've also got the Rancho Cucamonga Quakes, the Dodgers California League farm team. There's a team in San Bernardino. The Angels team is there, Lake Elsinore with the Padres. Those are great places to start because you have to wear a lot of hats. As you know, you learn about mm-hmm. everything and you learn a lot about sales. And almost any sports executive will tell you, if you can sell something, then you, you would re- really bring value to an organization. Because sports is, like so many businesses, most businesses, is about selling something. Mm-hmm. And because you brought up the idea of some of the students that have come through my class and Fred did uh, that we started one just happened this week. I wanted to share with you, knowing that we were going to have this conversation. I had Casey Wasserman in my class on Wednesday night and I posted a, a note about it. Um, Casey comes every spring and always makes a great impact because he's so practical when he talks about what how students can get started and kind of keys to success. And so I, I just made a mention and I sent out a, a, a Twitter post, uh, a tweet about Casey being in the class and a photo. And, and one of the people that responded on Twitter was um, a fellow named Brendan Meyer. And uh, Brendan took my class. He reminded me in, in his tweet that he'd taken my class in 2006. He said, I didn't know what Wasserman was. I didn't know anything about the company Wasserman or Casey Wasserman when you brought him in as a guest in 2006. Well, that summer, Brendan, because of finding out about the company, this, this powerhouse sports agency that just continues to grow so many areas, um, representing so many athletes um, worldwide, uh, Brendan landed an internship at Wasserman. That was in the summer of 2006, right after the class. He has not left Wasserman, and today he's a vice president. Wow. And That's amazing. He didn't know the company existed before taking the class. And, and that's kind of what I alluded to with, 
with Daryl Dunn saying, you know, do you think when he was sitting in a classroom, he would have any idea about a career that would have led to running the Rose Bowl as the general manager? So much is about just finding out, like just plugging into resources, something like the Sports Business Journal and finding out about ways that you can get involved and help and uh, whether it's sports media or something in sports business. For me, it was it was operating the Dodger Stadium message board. And it really wasn't even an internship. It was just a job that was available that turned into, I guess, something pretty close to what internships typically are. But it was just I had a desire to to be in sports and I just continued to meet people. Once the door opened to Dodger Stadium, I met somebody else from a class that I took at USC that opened a door to work at the LA Times. And so I had a part-time job at the LA Times soon after I'd met the person that came as a guest in my class. So I think there's a lot of ways to connect. And like you said, there's no excuse anymore for just figuring that these things will drop in your lap or I need to get discovered. No, you have ways now to, to establish your voice. You know, you can start a blog, you can start a podcast, you, you can have a YouTube channel. There are ways to get the attention of the right people. And well, the key well, is to Jeff, get started. Jeff, I mean, sometimes you talk about it all the time, but uh, it's all about who you know. But sometimes it's about who knows you. 100%. Right? 100%. It's, it's just as much, I think, about who knows you and getting the word out and creating awareness and letting people know, you know, what you're capable of. The other thing I, I'll, I'll add to Casey Wasserman mentioned it. We discussed it in, in class. What are those things during, and I speak about um, on the topics of networking, resume writing, and interviewing when I, in my classes and also at the sports business classroom program in Las Vegas that I'm part of every summer, it's tied into the NBA Summer League, and it's for people that want to get into sports, not necessarily students, any ages. And so it's like a week-long boot camp. And Casey was saying that, you know, one, one good thing to always remember when you're interviewing with, with a company trying to get into sports or whatever it is, is, is something as simple. It gets overlooked a lot. He said, how about something just as simple as tell me how you can make my company better. In other words, don't just focus on why this is a great job for you. And that's kind of the default reaction. This mm -hmm. is a dream job. I know everything there is to know about the Dodgers. My history with the Dodgers goes back. I went to games. Okay. Somebody's listening. Oh, that's great. So this is a great job for you. Okay. But Casey Wasserman's point is, why are you a good hire for me? So go into uh, an interview or when you meet someone and you want to make an impression, uh, approach it from how they would look at it. Like, what is it about me that would make your company better? And it really was, it, it was, it's something now that I, Casey first mentioned it a few years ago and I asked him to repeat it every time he comes, because I think it's just a good fundamental thing to keep in mind. What is your value add for the company? How can you make the company better? What is your separator that makes you different and better from all those other people that have applied for the same job? Well, what's, what's in it for them, right? What's in it for them? Because we know it's in it for you. You want the job. Clearly, we, we get Every, that. Everyone wants a job, right? Yes. You want to yeah. get into sports. We, we understand. And don't just say you have great passion. Everybody says that. Don't just say you know a lot about sports. Most people say that, although I always say that you don't have to have 
an encyclopedic knowledge of sports. I think a lot of times women, especially at the beginning of the semester in my class, worry they're surrounded by all these sports nerds. How will they possibly ever compete? Well, because people want to hire good people that are good communicators, that have a good work ethic, that are team players, all the things that any company would want. The How much you know about sports, that's, to me, it's like icing on the cake. Now, if, you, if you're applying for a researcher job at ESPN, that's different. You would have to probably take competency exams of some kind, and I know you, they do at places like that to know how much that you know about sports. But most jobs are not about how much you know. It, it's about how you can thrive in a, in a team environment and you know, be a good teammate and um, have the right work ethic, the right attitude, and your ability to make um, the, the, the company better that you work for. Well, and how many times do you see people bring upon um, different, different members of their staff who have no experience in baseball? or no, Like if you're going to go work for a baseball team, they don't, they've never worked in baseball before. But why right. they bring them on? Well, maybe they have the skill sets, but they're curious enough, right? It kind of right. goes back to the, to the curiosity point of, of trying to figure it out. But it's, you know, they can take perspectives from wherever else they've been. Maybe they've been in the NBA or hockey, but then now they go work. You see it all the time. You, 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 you do. And you, and you kind of question, oh, how did that person get that job? Well, you do. You do. You do they've, got different, they've got different experiences, right? I'll give you a great example. I had a, a, one of my former students, she, when she took the class, um, it was Monica Sears. It's now Monica Mendez. And she was doing an internship for Steve Brenner's company, Brenner's Weichel um, PR company, and Steve Brenner, longtime Dodger, um, head of publicity, still works. Um, uh, does a lot Steve, of Steve, work. Steve was on Life in the Front Office as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so Monica's doing an inter- internship for Steve and, and was covering a, uh, an event. Um, it was a boxing event. It was a press conference. And she was still a student at USC and she's bilingual and and she handled a situation that um, at this press conference that uh, that Steve Brenner's company was was uh, conducting. She handled it in a way that got the attention of somebody that that worked for Golden Boy Promotions, the boxing Oscar De La Hoya's boxing company. And uh, it was just a situation and she was decisive and and, you know, bilingual and. And so somebody came up to her from Golden Boy and said, I would love to talk to you about a job that we have. They immediately envisioned her somewhere. And she was surprised because she said, I don't know anything about boxing. It was just it was a press conference. And what her role didn't have anything to do with the with the sport of boxing, even though it was boxing related. So she goes and interviews and um, lo and behold, they convinced her that don't worry about knowing nothing about boxing. You can learn that. So she, she left um, her, her internship and started a full-time job at Golden Boy. And about 12 years later, Monica Mendez is the vice president of operations for Golden Boy Promotions. She's the one that goes to Las Vegas a week ahead of the fight, sets everything up, handles all of the activities during fight week, and then, um, and then actually on fight night. I mean, she is the go-to person at Golden Boy. Uh, she's had a great career already, and and uh, and and you know, great days ahead. 
Um, sky's the limit for her. She knew zero about boxing when she started. Well, it sounds like you've got uh, quite quite the teaching ability with, with some of these stars <laughs> you've got coming out, all these VPs and, and everyone. Well, I, look, I, I, feel pretty, I, pretty, I feel pretty fortunate, Jake, to be around, you know, really bright and motivated people. And if you have a desire uh, for something like this to break into an industry, you've got desire and you've got, you know, I have what I call my, my four P's of success, passion, preparation, performance, and persistence. And I say them in that order because I think one fuels the, the next. Passion certainly fuels the preparation. You've, you've got to perform. It's, you know, it's a bottom line business like any other business. You've got to do the job. Uh, and then persistence sort of ties it all together. You, 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 you just have to have the attitude that, that you're going to get where you want to go. And, and uh, you, you know, it's never going to be for lack of effort. Uh, so I think if you keep those things in mind, they will drive you. And, uh, and certainly having a little bit of good luck along the way. I mean, for Monica to have somebody notice her work that day at the press conference, good fortune. But you know what? If she hadn't done the job in such a good way, um, it wouldn't have mattered. Mm-hmm. So I think, uh, you know, I think it, but I think really it starts with just having the right attitude and, and wanting to learn. In the case of, of uh, being a professor at a university, it's just being around, it's being around kids that want to learn as much as they can during that, that really small window of time in their life, those four or five years, just getting the most out of every class and uh, every, every year that you're there in school and every internship or part-time opportunity to showcase yourself. Uh, that you take it seriously and you and that you want to make an impact. And and I think when you do that, that at least you'll have what John Wooden calls peace of mind and trying to be the best the best person in this business you can be. Well, I I don't think we could have finished this episode any better. So, um, you know, the four P's will definitely take away. Uh, so if any of the listeners are, are taking some wisdom, they want to drop on their friends or their colleagues, take away those four P's. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, every day is a new opportunity. So um, Jeff, Jeff, we appreciate uh, the time and, and this, and the story. Uh, we started off with Rick Monday and, and all the different uh, advice and insights along the way. Um, looking forward to definitely another future episode. I know, uh, we talked about having having one of your guests on uh, along with you. So uh, definitely looking forward to, to that in the near future and on Life in the Front Office. And um, we'll, we'll uh, definitely want to share uh, about about your class uh, at USC. Um, we'll, we'll throw something up on lifeinthefrontoffice.com and, and share it on LinkedIn and Twitter. That sounds great, Jake. It's been a real pleasure for me. I've really enjoyed it to be with you and Fred. Um, is an honor and um if there's anything ever i can do uh to help you or any of your listeners um feel free to be in touch and i look forward to the next time and jeff they can they can find you on linkedin as well right find me on linkedin um um, twitter twitter absolutely twitter instagram uh jump in say hello and um, um i look forward to being in touch All right. Well, appreciate it. And that's it for today on Life in the Front Office. Thanks again and talk to you.